Jesus suffered greatly, there was still much left to be done. And a lot happened in the span of a few days. And grace saw Jesus through and kicked an end out of a tomb. Grace is strong. Grace is powerful. Grace is a person. But grace is also persistent. What's this fire pit got to do with persistency? We'll uncover that today. Grace is persistent. It keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming. It never gives up and it never gives in and it never, ever, ever quits. Some of you may not be able to see that. Let me pull this table back a little bit. Grace just keeps at it. It never stops. For some of us, that's a very good thing. We're going to look at a story today in the Scriptures that kind of describes this persistency of grace. We're going to look at a a place where grace extended to an individual who didn't deserve it, who had experienced it in times past but had fell away from it, and how that today the persistence of grace, it continues not to give up on us. Though we betray it, though we deny it, Though we give up on ourselves and others, and though others may give up on us, grace does not give up. Aren't you grateful for that? This fire pit will be significant in our story, and that's why I brought it here today. I hope that over the next few minutes we'll discover a story about a guy named Peter. Give you some background. We'll look at John 21. We're going to look through the almost the entirety of the chapter today. John 21. Background it a little bit for you. This is after Jesus has been crucified. This is after he's been laid in the tomb. This is after he has been he has arisen from the grave. And his disciples are still trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. They're still trying to figure out where life goes. You see, life hasn't panned out just the way they thought it was going to. As much as Jesus had warned them, as much as Jesus had given to them, as many details as he'd offered them, they still had envisioned in their mind how this whole thing was going to pan out and how it was going to go. And it doesn't work out that way. Doesn't, life didn't happen the way they anticipated it was going to. And though he has arisen and they have seen him, they still find themselves trying to, they have questions they don't have answers to. They've got issues they're trying to sort out. And they find themselves back at some old stuff. Let's look at John 21. Let's look at verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. They went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. The disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, 
Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, then the disciple Jesus loved, the author of this book, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Grace is persistent. Grace just stays at it. When we give up and we give in and we throw in the towel, grace just keeps coming. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that grace doesn't give up when you want to? I got to be real honest. My ear hurts this morning. My throat doesn't feel very good. I have been blowing great big honks of bloody mess out of my nose for days. And I felt like giving up a ton. And in some ways, I told my wife last I feel like I have. I've ditched people on appointments. I've not been in the office at all. And so part of me feels very weak and very messed up and very like, Aaron, you're just a doofus at this moment. Even though I give up, Grace just keeps coming at me. Grace just keeps extending the love and the power of Jesus to me. I was sitting there thinking, and I've, not, I've been less than emotional all week. My wife is like, I don't know what's wrong with you. She, usually she has to work to hold me, to keep me at the house. I'm just like, you know, I really don't care. I'm just, okay, you want me to stay home? I'm staying home. I'm, I just don't care. She's like, you're just, I don't know. And I, I mean, I, when we're weak, Grace stays strong. When we don't feel like it, grace stays with us. When we are messed up and going on separate trails and in different directions, grace just keeps coming after us, doesn't it? Grace reminds us. Grace is persistent to remind us. It reminds us of where we were without Christ, and it reminds us where we could be right now. Right in this moment, where could we be without the, the grace of God, without the grace of Jesus Christ? Where would we be? You see, this whole scenario that's developed here is for the purpose of reminding some guys about something God had already done in their lives. This whole thing is symbolic. This whole storyline they're following through on is, is for the purpose of reminding them of where they were and where they will, they will end up being back at if they don't embrace this thing called grace. Well, how is that? See, Peter is the main picture in this story, isn't he, besides the person of Jesus? And it's funny, he's kind of like the ringleader. It's funny to me, if you read in verse 1, it says, again, Jesus came to them. That is the picture of persistence. This is not the first time Jesus appeared to these guys since he arose from the dead. This is actually the third, third time he's appeared to the disciples as a, as a group. It's the fourth time he, in the book of John he showed up since he arose. He showed up to Mary at the beginning of, of John chapter 20. And so this is the fourth time. He just keeps coming. He just keeps reminding. He just keeps coming back at them. And he keeps 
chasing them and coming after them. And Peter's kind of in the middle of this. And see, this whole story at the beginning of John chapter one, John chapter 21 is to remind Peter of where he used to be. Peter was reminded of how Jesus had called him. And for reference, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in Luke 5, you'll read these words. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, this guy named Peter we refer to now, its owner to push it into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go where it is deeper. That's a good word. And let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this At this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. See, this whole storyline that Peter's embarking upon, this whole thing that's going on, Jesus is intending to use it to say, remind Peter, remember where you came from, Peter? Remember what was going on before all this stuff that you're trying to make sense of happened? Remember what I brought you from. Remember what I called you out of. Remember what your life used to be. And now you're trying to go back there. Peter, please remember. Please be reminded of what you could have been. Please be reminded, Jesus, or I mean Peter, of where I, could, where I brought you out of. Some of you this morning, life has thrown some things at you, maybe even this week. And you've thought about testing the water again. I think I'm ready to go back fishing. Let me check the water out. Let's see how that might go for me. Maybe some of you thought about backtracking a little bit when you're coming up to God. Maybe you thought about backtracking on the calling God has for you and you stuck your foot back in the water just to test it to see where it's at. Like Peter, you find yourself being tempted to go back to the lifestyle you once lived. And this morning, the grace of God is persistently calling to you, saying, don't go back there. Remember where I came from. You're still trying to get your foot down in the water. You know, we are weak and we are frail. And we are prone to disappointment and discouragement. But the grace of God still keeps coming at us, doesn't it? It keeps reaching toward us. It keeps coming after us. Peter, only was that, I mean, think about it. Peter is replaying in his mind this story of how Jesus, the whole thing with the fish, toiling all night, the whole thing with the the, the extra boats, his buddies, the same partners who've been in business with him are there again. I mean, this whole thing is just continuing to replay out, isn't it? 
And Peter is so drawn to this point that he has to throw his clothes. And he, this, is, this is very similar to me, like the story where he, Jesus is out walking on the water and Peter's like, let me come be you. He, come be with you. Jesus is like, come on. Peter didn't even wait this time for Jesus to say, come on. Everybody else is still in the boat and Peter's like, oh my goodness, it's the Lord. After John reminded, he just, he just throws on his tunic. He jumps in the water, doesn't wait to help. I'm thinking the rest of the going, okay, Peter, what's the deal, buddy? How are we going to get this fish in? Because you just left us. He didn't care. All of a sudden, those wheels are turning. You know, and he gets on the shore, and he finds Jesus next. The scriptures are pretty blatant, actually. It says it's a charcoal fire. I was in Kenya last year. And one of the ways people make money is they take normal everyday firewood, they turn it into charcoal, and they sell it because everybody cooks over some sort of open, open fire of some kind. So there's quite a, quite a business. I don't, I don't think, I don't, nobody's getting rich doing that, but you can sustain your life and help people out in that whole nine yards. And so I watched as I drove down the roads of Kenya of these charcoal fires. So we're talking about charcoal fire. We're not talking briquettes. Are you hearing me? It's not Kingsford or Matchlight that, that, that Jesus is cooking over, okay? It's not, it's not that kind of boxed, bagged sort of charcoal idea. These are pieces of wood that have been charred for the purpose of being dry so they can fire them right back up again and cook over them. Are you with me? And so Jesus is cooking over a fire like that. And even that fire was for the purpose of remembrance. I wonder how many times Jesus and the disciples had done the very same thing. After a day's work, after a, a day of ministry, after a day where Jesus has thrown out some parables and the disciples have, have, have uh, Jesus, what was that all about? And Jesus begins to explain to them what's going on. They're sitting around a fire. They can smell. Even the, you ever been around the smell? Like right now, I can, there's a real distinct smell of that kind of charcoal. I don't know how to describe it to you, but, but I, can, I can smell it every now and then. It reminds me of being back in Kenya. And I can, it's real distinct. I can, I, 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 in memory, smell is one of the most firmly attached senses to memory. And so I can, I don't, like right now, even though I can't really smell anything or taste anything, my mind right now is like on the, the, the sideways, on, of, 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 on the sideways. Uh, I, am, I feel sideways. Um, on the roadways in Kenya, smelling that smell. And I, I bet as Peter jumps on the shore, suddenly that, that aroma fills his nostrils. And he's suddenly back where he used to be. You guys ever flashbacks like that? I don't know, some of my favorite scenes in The Passion of the Christ are where Jesus kind of flashes back and the disciples kind of flash back to things. And suddenly you're there. I know that was going on. My, I've kind of got, we got Netflix at our house. We, we get to watch unlimited, like, download movies, stream things, and I've just kind of got turned on to that. And so there's a TV show I've never seen until recently called Lost. Anybody ever watch Lost? It kind of hooks you. It's just one of them suspense things, and once you start watching, you can't quit, you know what I mean? So I'm just like kind of halfway through season one, you know. And the thing about the show is, I like about it, is it keeps flashing back to the previous lives of these people. And you get a real insight into what's going on with them and why they think the way they do and why they're responding the way they're responding. And it's just kind of like a, an object lesson. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm sure that could be a problem later. I'm sure that they were having these kind of things. Maybe all of them were just all of a sudden their minds and replaying what happened, being reminded the persistency of Jesus, the persistency of grace. And Peter's there by the fire. And see, this fire was there reminding not only of those times. This fire is there to reminding of something in the not 
so distant past, even within the last week or two past of his life. See, because Peter found himself being near another fire just recently. The scriptures actually say say it was a charcoal fire. And Peter finds himself back there, except this time Jesus is right there with him. Let's look at it in John 18. John 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus. This is after Jesus had been arrested in the garden. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did the, uh, another of the disciples, which they believe was John, the writer of the book. The other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed into the, inner, into the high priest's court with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. But a disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said. I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. And they stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood there with them. You were Jesus, were you? Nope. Wasn't me. Nope. Wrong guy. I kind of wonder if Jesus even had the same fire pit there on purpose. You know what I mean? Then in verse 25, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it again, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest relative to the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Ask, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Some of you may be here today. And you, you're disappointed with life and the way things have panned out. The more you're disappointed with life and the way things have panned out, you are disappointed with yourself. You have found yourself sitting by the fire of life. You've let people down who mean a lot to you. You have felt like you frustrated them. You feel like you frustrated yourself. You feel like, you know what? I have just royally messed up and I have not kept up to my word. I have not kept up to my commitments. I am as low as dirt and lower. And you just can't get away from the fire. You wake up in the morning and those words of denial and betrayal that you spoke or those actions that you took or those things that you did stare back at you in the face every morning. Let me encourage you at this moment, the grace of God is more persistent than your memory. The grace of God is more persistent than those innuendos. The grace of God is more powerful than the voice of that, of that denial, of that betrayal, of that discouragement. The grace of God is bigger than that. And though Peter found himself back by the fire, and he's reminded of that fire, there's still another voice speaking, beckoning to Peter to come near. 
Part of the remembrance factor is this, for us to be reminded how easy it would be for us to get off track. Peter had been, just a few months earlier, had been the one Jesus pointed at and said, you're right, Peter. Flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, and upon this rock I will build my church, and you'll no longer be called Simon, you'll be called Peter. And at that, that same Peter now finds himself being reminded of how the same one who had confessed Jesus as the Christ was the same voice, the same mouth, the same heart that had denied him three times by a fire. I don't know whom you've hurt. I don't know whom you've betrayed. I don't know whom you've denied. I don't know how you, your life or your actions have screwed something up or whatever. I have no idea of all that about all of you. But I do tell you this, that where you have screwed up, where you have been weak, where you have been frail, where you have sinned and messed up life big time, the grace of God still extends to you. And instead of just a warm fire being here, there's breakfast being cooked for you. There's an open door of opportunity. The grace of God, the fire was there on purpose. The charcoal was there on purpose. The fish was there on purpose. The boat was there on purpose. All of it was there for the purpose of reminding you, my grace still extends to you. My, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You feel weak. You feel frail. You feel messed up. But I'm strong. Jesus would say, We've looked at amazing grace over the last few weeks. And we've not really done a traditional rendition, have we? All of you old timers, you're about to get a little bit of a treat. See, Amazing Grace was written by a guy named John Newton. And Amazing Grace was written in the context of this man being reminded of where he had come from. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. John, these were not words that were just nice sounding religious words when John Newton wrote them. These were very heartfelt, very, his life was, was yelling at him and grace was persistently calling to him. Give a little background. I got a little piece of video footage I want you to see. Maybe it'll make, maybe it'll make the, the, the power of this song and the power of God's grace even more prevalent. All right, guys. The volume might need to be turned up a little bit on that computer thing, possibly. When you study music, you also come across what are known as white spirits. Did you know that? And they are white composers who work with those that scale. In early America, they used to call it the slave scale. I'm going to play for you what some musicologists think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale or just a black note. Did 
before he became a Christian, he was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant and wrote the words Amazing Grace and set his words to a slave melody. I looked up that song in the Library of Congress. I looked up, I went to the Library of Congress, I looked up that song. And wherever you see it authentically printed, you know what it says? Words, John Newton. Melody unknown. I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it. I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water. I want to sing it to you the way John Newton, probably first and first, coming up out of the belly of the ship. Grace reminds us. When I hear that, I try not to get choked up. But I think of a man who had done such atrocities. Every time he heard that song, the recollection of where he had come from would replay back in his mind. John Newton, you guys ought to see a movie called Amazing Grace. If you're not seeing it, you ought to rent that thing or borrow it from somebody or something because it tells the story about how John's conversion not only affected a young man named William Wilberforce, but it affected the entirety of the English empire because of the words that John Newton would speak as a preacher having been a former slave captain. 
had drastically impacted this young man named William Wilberforce, who suddenly found himself in a political arena where he has a chance to change something vile and evil. And he works for years and years and years to the point of even death to abolish the slave trade as it existed in England at the time. It's an amazing story. And you see John Newton being, the, the, the grief in his heart and the grace that God had It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And Every time John would hear that melody, he'd be right back on that ship. Every time he'd hear that melody, he would be reminded of how powerfully God had revolutionized his life. And Peter is having that moment by the fire, how he had been reminded of everything life had been and how he had betrayed Christ. But at the same time, the grace of God was being persistent towards him, not allowing him to get away. The grace of God is persistent to remind us the grace, grace is persistent to bring us to repentance. See, repentance is turning around. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. If all you've said is, I'm sorry, you have not really repented, and we associate those two things as being the same thing. In fact, it would be better for you not to say any words of all at all and just turn it around than to say words and not really turn it around. Spouses, the last thing your parent, your 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 parents, I almost said. <laughs> it may feel like that for some of you. The last thing your spouse wants from you is another "I'm sorry" and to wake up tomorrow morning and find themselves in the same mess. It'd be better for you not to say anything. Jesus wasn't looking for Peter to come running and grovel at his feet and go, "I'm so sorry," <laughs> and snot and everything else. Peter was ho- or Jesus was hoping that Peter would be so amazingly touched by the grace of God that Peter's life would never, ever, ever be the same. And you'll notice in this context, Peter never utters words of, I'm sorry. In fact, at one point it says he and the rest of the disciples were silent. They didn't say anything unless they were first called upon to say something. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a turning around. It's a change of your mind. You see that beginning of that repentance as Peter jumps in the water. See, it was Peter's idea to go out and fish in the first place. And he's out there backtracking on the calling and the commitment that he made to God and to his family and to whomever else. And he's back, and he's the first one to jump out of the ship and go head back to shore. He didn't wait to pull up anchor. He didn't wait for the wind to turn around. He doesn't wait to adjust the, shell, the, 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 the sails. He, ju- he just puts his tunic on and he's back to shore. That is an act of repentance. I am someplace I don't belong. I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right right now. I'm getting back out of this boat, heading back to where Jesus is. Some of you today need to stop making excuses why you can't get the boat turned around. You need to jump out of the stinking boat, run towards Jesus as fast as you can, and quit making excuses, and quit saying I'm sorry, and quit doing all that, and just get right back on track. Those are tough words, aren't they? You also find repentance in Jesus and the disciples submissiveness and quietness in the presence of Jesus. Look at verse 10 of John 21. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the rest, yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. 
None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them with bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Jesus believed this about Peter. He knew that once love had been expressed and received. See, the love of God is being expressed to you all the time. Jesus, the persistence of grace, is reaching out towards you all the time. The funny part about this is we often think about grace, and I've started from the beginning, we often think about the grace as that one thing that gets us on the right track with Jesus at the beginning of our relationship. But grace really is that thing that keeps everything going all the time anyway. It's the grace that propels us through the trouble and the difficulty, the tomb. It's the grace of Jesus that draws us to repentance. It's the grace of God that reminds us where we could be, and it's persistent to keep us going even when we mess up after we've come to Christ and tried to live for him at one point in time. Grace keeps extending and keeps empowering, keeps strengthening us, keeps calling to us day in and day out. We live in the grace of God. Make no mistake about it. We cannot live without it. We need God's grace more than we need oxygen, more than we need food, more than we need water, more than we need anything else. Grace of God is strong and it's powerful. But likewise, grace flourishes in a place where the love of God is expressed but is also received. Grace flourishes in a place where grace is acknowledged and repentance is lived continually. Jesus knew that once love had been expressed and received, love would breed more of itself and that Peter would respond in kind. The love that Jesus had expressed to Peter, Peter receiving that grace, that love, that would in turn revolutionize Peter's life and Peter would then begin to live out this thing called grace and love and truth because he'd experienced from the hands of the the living Christ, the risen Savior. Many of us, like Peter, have messed up, goofed up, walked down the wrong path, and when God's love is extended towards us, we keep running in the same direction. We keep going the direction that we've been going. And this morning, the grace of God is persistently calling out to us, get off of the boat, get back on the shore, and get back on track. I'm not giving up. Don't give up. Don't keep running. And he's calling to us again today. In repentance, he, Peter, and they, the rest of the disciples, found that expression of love they had hoped would be there. See, in their heart, they didn't feel worthy. In their heart, they didn't feel like, you know, Jesus would want anything to do with him. In their heart, they didn't know what to expect. In their heart, they were consciously hoping, that, oh, maybe Jesus will let us, hang on, son. We don't know. We really walked away from him in the middle of his darkest hour, man. I don't know. I hope it's there. And in the middle of this time, they find the grace of God. Jesus expressed love by his presence, just being there. And he expressed grace and love by his attention to their need. He realized they'd been out all night. He realized they were frustrated. So he missed their need by giving them some fish to catch, to be to excite them and to remind them who he was. But he didn't stop there. By the time they got to the shore, breakfast is cooked. He ministered to them physically and emotionally and spiritually all at the same time. Listen to this. Peter's standing there, 
And he's dealing with this whole thing of his betrayal, his denial, his walking away from the calling of God at the whole nine yards. And Peter's story is here for this, to remind us, no matter, no, no matter how great a person is, he may fall. But God's grace and forgiveness will restore one who's repentant. Always. Always, always, always. The provision of grace would be important because this thing called the church Jesus is getting ready to launch is going to face all kinds of other problems and they would have to live in that grace to follow through on the rest of their commitments to Him. Grace is persistent to release us into our purpose. Grace reminds us of where we could be. Grace draws us to repentance, but grace is persistent to release us into our purpose. See, each of us have a calling for, from God. Each of us has something to accomplish for Him. And we will mess up, and we will deny it at times. We will walk away from it. We will hurt people. We will do things that will completely mess that stuff up. But that in no way diminishes the purpose God initially created us for. And grace called out to Peter again today, and it said, Peter! You have messed up. Peter, you have walked back onto the boat. But guess what? I called you to be more than just a fisherman. I called you to be a fisher of men. Get out of that stinky boat. Get back up here to the shore because we got work to accomplish. And you'll find that looking down at verse 12 maybe. No. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon? Son of John, do you love me more than these? That's the question of the hour. Peter, what, what, what these was Peter, was Jesus talking about? Could be. Jesus was talking about the boat and the nets. Could be. Jesus was talking about, Peter, do you love me more than James and John and Nathaniel and Thomas, all your homies who are out on the boat with you. Could be, Peter, do you love me more than all this other stuff, the frustration, the discouragement, the, 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 the messed up perception you have of life? Do you love me more than you love hanging on to that stuff? I realize you're discouraged, Tom, or Thomas. Yeah, Thomas, you're discouraged too. Peter, I realize you're discouraged about things. Do you love me more than all of that? Peter response. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, you, you love me. It's funny here, Jesus calls him by what name? Simon. See, back in Matthew 16, Jesus said, you'll be longer called Simon, you'll be called Peter. Because on the revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church and you are a portion of that rock. I will call you Peter. And now intentionally, Jesus is calling him Simon again. Simon. Because you went to the fire, Simon. Because you went back to the boat. Let's start over fresh and new today, Simon. Do you love me more than these? John keeps referring to Peter as Peter. You catch that? He just calls him Simon, and then when John is writing out the narrative, he says, Peter said. Peter said. That leads us to believe 
This was a revolutionary moment in Simon's life because he had denied Jesus by a fire. He's now given a chance to, to tell Jesus he loves him by a fire. He had been called Simon, previous to knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. Now he's back to being called Simon. But John, his buddies, continue to call him Peter. In other words, somebody's got some belief and some hope in him that he could maybe be what God called him to be. Maybe he could actually accomplish what God called him to accomplish. Maybe something is going on there and God's about to get this thing back on track. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I think probably in the back of Peter's mind is Jesus and he are sitting by the fire after breakfast. The third question came. And probably off in the distance he heard this. probably. I mean, Jesus was explicit where the details were concerned. I mean, he didn't have a rooster right there, but I kind of figured off in the distance, in the Galilean countryside, there was some farmer who had a rooster, and at just that moment when Jesus asked that question the third time, just like the third time Peter had denied Christ, there's a... And the Bible says then that Peter was hurt. You know why he was hurt? Because it, he knew what Jesus was up to. Jesus... He knew he'd hurt Jesus three times, and Jesus was giving him a chance to totally repent and get things back on track. And there he is at the fire. Wow. Peter finds himself there. Lord, you know everything, and you know I love you, he says. He says, well, then feed my sheep. See, Jesus' response to Peter is, do you love me? Yes. Yes, I do, Jesus. Well, then if you love me, we got a purpose to get about. And he kept reminding Peter, not, not of how hurt Jesus was. He didn't keep reminding Peter of how disappointed he was at Peter. He wasn't reminding, he was reminding Peter, you did mess up. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm giving you a chance right now in this moment. You know what? Three times you denied me, but three times in the midst of your homies, when they know you messed up, you've said you love me. And guess what, Peter? Because you still love me, we got things to get accomplished. Get about feeding my sheep. Get about doing what I called you to do. Let's get back on with it, Peter. I've never retracted the inv invitation, Peter. I've never taken it away, Peter. Peter, it's still there. Please keep coming. Peter. Please keep working on it, Peter. Peter, I'm still God and I'm still king and I say that I love you and I say I have a purpose for you. If you and I get on the same page today, Peter, life will be what it's supposed to be. I don't even know it doesn't look like you thought it would be. And today we will accomplish great things. Peter, feed my sheep. And today, today, no matter where you are, Jesus is extending the invitation to you. I still have purpose for you. I still have a promise for you. I still have something I want you to accomplish, and I'm ready to work with you through it, but you've got to come back to me, get out of the boat, get back on the shore, get back on track, and let's run this thing out together. It's not too late. It's not too, too, too you, you, you've not, it'll be okay. Man, my brain's not working right. Grace extends beyond our inability to live up to what we say. You see, Peter had promised Jesus three times in the scripture that we can find that he would never leave Jesus. 
Jesus. And then three times he finds himself in a fire denying Jesus. And three times by the fire, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And grace extends beyond our inability to live up to what we say. And it gives us the ability to live up to what God says about us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? We may have said many words that we can't live up to, but God has said many words over our lives that his grace will empower us to walk in and live up to. And in that moment, at that fire, Peter is finding out that the grace of God will have to live up to what God always said about him. Wow. Man. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says this, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. When God gives you a gift, when God gives you a call, He never withdraws them. He never takes them away. There's something that gnaws at us about what we are meant for, and it gnaws at us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failings, in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we've said certain things and didn't do certain things. It gnaws and gnaws and gnaws at the inside of us. Some of you have messed up big time. You think, man, I can never be what God wants me to be. And every time you try and run away, just the right song comes on the radio. Just the right message gets sent to you over a stupid TV commercial. At just the right time, you get just the right note in the mail or just the right text message or just the right card or just the right thing. And the gnawing of the calling of God continues to penetrate the very fabric of who you are. And though you run, you cannot get away. My encouragement to you today is to quit running. Get off of the boat. Leave the nets behind and get back on the shore because God has something for you to accomplish that he set in stone before the foundation of the world and he calls out to you and says, let's get on with it. Let me remind you of this. The grace of God is persistent to keep us. John 21, 18. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. For most of us, that'd be like, that's like a total downer, Jesus. What's up with that? I mean, you're just telling us about how you got a purpose for us. You got something going on. And now all of a sudden, you're about to tell me how life is going to pan out for you. It don't look good. But you see, even that was the grace of God. Because the grace of God was saying, Peter, the same Peter who denied me by the fire will follow me to the death. The same Peter who listened to the crow cry three times, or listened to me, denied me three times before the crow cried, be the same Peter that will allow him his life to go wherever I want it to go. And though it may cost him his very life, and though you, he didn't know this at the time, you will watch your very wife be crucified in front of your eyes for my name's sake, and you will still not quit. Peter, I got a plan for you, buddy. My grace will be persistent to keep you. Listen, life is not always going to pan out the way we think it's going to. 
We are going to mess up. We are going to make commitments that we cannot keep. We are going to think at times that God made certain promises. We saw fashioning in some certain way, and it's not going to pan out that way. And so we'll face discouragement because of that. We'll face discouragement because of ourselves. But God's grace will keep us in spite of all of that. And I promise you in the end, God will have the last say. And we look back at it, we will see that God's plan did work out. It was what it was supposed to be. And the grace and the power and the strength of Jesus will be extended to us and to others. Peter had understood that grace and he offered us encouragement. Look at first, in 1 first Peter 1, 2, you'll find these words. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Peter's writing these words now. You think he knew something about that? He's writing from experience. He's writing out of his heart. And his spirit made you holy. Peter knew he wasn't holy in of himself. He knew the spirit of God had made him such. He says these words in 1 Peter 1, 2. As a result, you've obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now may God give you more and more grace and peace. 1 Peter 5.12, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. 2 Peter 1.2, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You think Peter had an idea what grace was, the necessity of standing in it, the power of it, the necessity of having more and more and more of it as time went on. Peter writes those words out of experience, having sat with Jesus by the lakeshore after he had denied Christ three times. He knows what it means to understand the purpose and the calling. He knows what it means to have denied it and walked away from it. He knows what it means to have life throw things at you you can't make sense of and can't work with and didn't ever want to happen but they did anyway, and he calls out and he says, God, throw more and more grace on these people so they can stand firm in it. Maybe today you stand here and you are sorely disappointed. Maybe somebody you love disappointed you. See, Peter was disappointed because the person he loved the most, he thought ditched him. His name was Jesus. Because Peter thought he was going to work out a certain way. Maybe some of you here, just on the other side of Peter's story, and you think you're the one who's been all, messed it up so royally that you can't get it right. Maybe you've hurt yourself. Maybe you've hurt those around you. Maybe you feel like you're beyond the point of recovery. Maybe you've hurt the people you love the most, and you're sitting on the boat trying to figure out how to get life back on track. The grace of God is persistent and it's sufficient to help you get through with what you got to get through with. Get out of the boat. Maybe, maybe today you committed yourself to things you couldn't and didn't live up to. And today you find yourself just wandering through the motions of life and getting back to what's normal, even though you know you're called to something higher than that. Maybe. You feel like you're no good to God or anybody else for that matter. You don't know if the grace of God will ever be strong enough. Listen to me. The grace of God is persistent 
The grace of God will not quit even though you have. The grace of God is strong. Do another thing and get back to it. What God called you to be from the very beginning of time. Maybe you've run away for a long time. I don't know. The neat thing about this grace thing, this we, we, we listen to us to that, that rendition. Because it's called the rendition we listened to at the beginning with the human video and stuff. Did you notice how grace kept kept preaching? Grace came to a person. They were free, and then all of a sudden life started coming, and the grace had to keep pushing stuff away. You notice that? That was on purpose. Because grace is persistent. And though we come out, sometimes we go back in to stuff. Grace keeps pushing it away. That that song's called 10,000 Years. The neat thing about this thing called grace is 10,000 years from now, the same grace that brought us to Christ is the same grace we will dance in in front of the throne of Jesus. (laughs) And it will have never quitted. Is that a good word? Quitted? I don't know. Somebody who does English well, tell me. We will have never quit on us. It will have never stopped. We will be dancing in it 10,000 years from now. Today, maybe you're here, and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know, can I get back on track with that? I don't know. If you're in the boat when you know you should be out on the shore, you're in the wrong spot. And the grace of Jesus is calling and drawing. Let me tell you about the grace of Jesus. It's there in spite of our sin. It's there because of our sin. It's there because of our denial and our betrayal. It's there because of our actions and our shortcomings. It's there because we could not live up to things, and God knew it, and he made a way for us. Through the person of Christ on a cross who kicked his way through a tomb to give us victory over life, and he offers an extension to us today to live in it every day, and for the rest of eternity, he offers it to us. And so how can you go wrong with that? You are lost without him. You are lost if you try and walk away from what he's called you to do and to be. You are lost. So his extension to you today is this. Walk in the grace but with which you've been saved. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of slavery. <clears throat> I don't know if crowd two is going to get a message or not. <clears throat> you need help tonight. You need encouragement. Maybe you're discouraged beyond belief. You need the hand of God to reach into where you are. Stand with me.